I'm Paula Simons and this is Alberta Unbound. Edmonton civil rights lawyer Avnish Nanda has made a name for himself in Alberta's legal community by representing clients who are taking on seemingly impossible fights. Whether he's challenging Habitat for Humanity's new mortgage rules, suing the police over allegations of violence, fighting for the rights of foster children who are aging out of the child welfare system, or fighting for the rights of sexual assault victims to sue the church that employed their alleged abuser. He's also something of a social media maven. One of the creators of the delightful social media campaign Everyone's Canada, and one of the founding producers of Is This For Real, a hard-hitting podcast that examines relations between the Edmonton Police Service and Edmonton's black and other racialized communities. What inspired his take on the world? Well, as you'll hear from Avnish himself, it all began in Mill Woods, a polyglot neighborhood in southeast Edmonton where, as Avnish tells it, a new kind of Alberta identity has been forged. Here's our conversation. So Avnish, let me start in Mill Woods. Mill Woods is a neighborhood that lots of Edmontonians think they know well, even if they don't. It's not a neighborhood though that I think a lot of people outside of Edmonton would know or understand. And I know that you've written at some length about what your childhood was like growing up in Mill Woods. And I wondered if you could start by explaining what is Mill Woods and, and what made it a particular place for you growing up? Sure. So <clears throat> Millwoods is um, this, I think, the city-directed subdivision that established in the 70s, I believe, approved in the 60s by the city, established in the 70s. And it has this kind of unique history where it's really stolen land um, from the Papaches Cree. Um, and I use that word very purposely. It is stolen land. Um, they were driven out by corporate interests um, in the city of Edmonton uh, to take their land for speculation, for farming, for other sorts of things. And in the 70s, the city, I believe, or 60s, the city took back the land in order to continue the um, build of the city, which I believe at that time was growing quite rapidly. And there was a, um, an opportunity for folks to buy um, plots of land to build houses that are relatively cheap. And you saw it. Millwoods turn into kind of one of the rival neighborhoods in Edmonton, where folks from all over the world and across um, Canada came to Edmonton to start anew, and they chose that neighborhood because it's affordable. Um, and as a result, you saw this very diverse, very unique kind of enclave in the city where I don't think um, there's much that compares to it across Canada in terms of how diverse it is, but how relatively, like, like I've been told that the highest rates of home ownership are in Millwoods. Because, and it's not folks with wealth, it's folks who come here and settle, often with large families, who are pooling money and working together so that once the family prospers as, as a large unit, that one, another family will go off like down the street to buy a house and there's help. Um, and I grew up in that milieu in the uh, 90s and my parents actually came to Edmonton and lived in Clareview, for, Clareview first, Northside, and another kind of arrival enclaves, but then ended up in the woods. And it brought the world to a kid growing up in Southeast Edmonton in the sense of who I was associating with, who was in my schools, the frameworks, um, just the life experiences. And 100% it has shaped my outlook to today. And I think that's why I think I have a bit of a different outlook when it comes to inclusivity, diversity, what's possible here in Alberta as an Albertan. So where did your family come from? Where does your origin story start? Uh, it starts in India. So my 
my, well, I would say that my grandparents on both sides were um, refugees of partition. My mother's side ended up in New Delhi and my dad's side on the border between India and Pakistan in Punjab. And um, they had a very kind of difficult, kind of typical immigrant story, right? Things were working out in the country they're from. On a whim, on a whim, my uncle takes off to Victoria, to Canada, uh, overstays his visa, <laughs> somehow work, works at a farm, ends up getting status, sponsored my dad in the 70s. And then my parents come, and then the whole family comes. Grandparents, too, also came to Edmonton. So you were, you were born in Edmonton? Yeah, yeah, the Royal so, Alex. So tell me, I mean, you've said that Millwood's had this impact on your identity. So dive a little deeper. What do you think was the impact of growing up in such a multicultural neighborhood? Because I think it's important that people outside of Edmonton understand that this isn't just a South Asian neighborhood. This is a South Asian neighborhood. It's a Filipino neighborhood. It's an Hispanic neighborhood. It's, you know, it's, it's a sort of a, you know, a masala kind of a place. Oh, for sure. That's the key. I think that's a good term because everything that's in the world is found in the woods, linguistically, ethnic uh, background, religious background. And I really learned that these folks that I grew up with, their parents, their life experience, their background, that's what it means to be an Albertan in the sense that uh, being an Albertan is in the stereotypical sense of, you know, whatever we're, we're told by other people uh, across the country where it's generally white, generally a particular, particular uh, religious background and uh, cultural and political attitude. I never felt that growing up. I was in this bubble where, you know, my friends who were Filipino or my friends who um, were from, her parents were from Jamaica, um, they were Albertan, I was Albertan, they were Canadian, I was Albertan or Canadian, and we weren't really um, contesting this sense of Albertan identity being imposed on us. We were, we were Albertans because we were here and we we're kind of working towards something together. So then how does that shape your own personal definition of multiculturalism? Well, you know, I think in many respects, those childhood days are um, really signify like what is possible in a multicultural mo model. And I know it's derided the concept of multiculturalism, but like, like I kid you not, like when I was in elementary school, like, so Millwoods also has a large indigenous population. And so my friends, you know, there's I've had a bunch of friends who are good friends who are indigenous, but we didn't know, we didn't call them Aboriginal or indigenous, right? We knew that Talon was Cree because that's what she told us and talked about her heritage and her family. Or my buddy Beamer was, you know, Blackfoot because he told us that. And we really had this kind of nuanced understanding of difference, but we're together as a cohesive collective group. And I think it's special. Um, and I know it's special because when I talk to other folks growing up and even other parts of Edmonton, they're like, we did not live that life. You know, we did not have that experience. So you grew up, I mean, you called it a bubble, which you know, is a word that takes on all kinds of resonances in the COVID universe. But, you know, when you had to leave that, that bubble, was it a shock to step out of Millwoods and realize that not everybody was going to be that accepting and that not every part of Alberta or Canada was going to have that kind of rich tolerance? So, I, yeah, like, I, I think that when I, I went from uh, junior high school, that was all right in, uh, in, uh, in, in Millwoods and my father and my mother really pushed me to do the AC program. Which so is ac academic challenge so that, uh, that, that's what we mean, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Which is, which is, which is because my daughter did that. So I have to say it's for the gifted <laughs> as opposed to those who are academically challenged. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, that I went to Harry Ainley, which when I showed up at Harry Ainley, I was in the- Which, is, which I should say is, is, a, is a great big, it's a great big high school. The, yeah. I think the biggest in the city. And I was the last year that they cut off the Woods kids coming in. And I was in this school where like, you know, my friends, like they had like, like voice acting classes in elementary or they went to an elementary school where each of them had uh, a computer on their desk. And I had this massive like um, existential crisis that like, well, I'm not as smart as these people. I don't know why the hell I'm here. So I turned into a bit of like a class clown to survive because I just, like, why the hell, like I don't deserve to be here. I'm not as bright as these folks. I, I don't have these opportunities. And it took some time to kind of realize that, you know, you have something to share even though your background's different and no one's holding anything against you. But from the identity standpoint, there's, this is the thing. Maybe it's so ingrained into me is that when people try to push something on me, like, oh, that's not Albertan values or that's not Albertan culture or, or even Canadian stuff. I'm just like, get out of here. Like, you know, I have as much in common as you. And like, even for my parents, like in many cases, my parents have been in Canada, in Alberta, in Edmonton, longer than people who are telling them, you know, their voting history or their particular outlook is contrary to what this province stands for. So I've been... Uh, unaccepting of those views. No, I mean, I, I know exactly what you mean. It's, it's the people who tell me to like, go back where I came from. And the answer is that to the Royal Alex Hospital. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> yeah. I guess that's where we all came from. Yeah. So over the last, uh, I guess really 18, 24 months, you're a lawyer in Edmonton, I should say, but you've been very involved in a couple of provocative social media projects that have really sort of interrogated this whole question of identity and belonging. During the federal election campaign, you were part of a national, um, I don't know what you call it, like social social media viral video campaign sure. to really make people think about Canadian identity. And that was sort of very uplifting and optimistic and filled with sort of the celebration of Canadian multiculturalism. Then we have COVID-19, we have the lockdown, we have the Black Lives Matters protests in the United States, we have this, you know, uh, epiphany, I think, for a lot of Canadians looking at systemic racism, racism against uh, Black Canadians and Indigenous Canadians in particular, uh, and then a backlash to that, and then you became involved with a very, very different social media project, a, uh, a podcast called Is This For Real?, which looks at the question of uh, police relations with Edmonton's Black community. And I wondered if you could walk me a little bit through, I guess, the genesis of those projects and how you go from one, which is so celebratory and optimistic, to the other one, which, which can be pretty grim when it confronts the issue of systemic racism in the Edmonton Police Service. Yeah, and, and to be clear, I'm still with the Everyone's Canada. Now, uh, Is This Real? is a is a really cool media um, platform, um, incorporated platform, a nonprofit that's run by black folks for black folks and through black storytellers. But yeah, I think it's part of the same conversation though. Um, I'm one of those people who really are aware and appreciate the ups and downs, the good and bad, like the yin and yang of life and also on this identity conversation we're having. Um, 
I think that we have to have this conversation now more than ever because it's coming to a fore. There's more and more people, I think, in this country who come from diverse backgrounds who are not who are seeing these issues, systemic issues, individual issues of racism. And we don't have a good way to talk about this. And our government and our politics excuse me, doesn't really excuse me, reflect it in that nuanced, um, meaningful way. And you know, everyone's Canada is still there and we're still promoting this sense of, you know, that Canadian identity is shaped around a set of values and aspirations, not what you look like, where you come from, you know, what your religion is. And that is the same kind of thread in Is This For Real? Because <clears throat> there are very different um, experiences um, in terms of interaction with police based on your identity, based on your race and skin color. And those racial inequities are preventing this country from being for everyone. And for you, I mean, the events of this summer, uh, I think we're a time of reckoning for a lot of Canadians from all different kinds of backgrounds. And I'm wondering what those events meant for you and your own self-definition as an Albertan and as a Canadian. You know what, like I, I've been doing this work for years, police accountability cases. And what, what I find really interesting is that like a lot of the people who I help who I work for uh, in that particular context are people I can relate to because, you know, we may have went to the same schools. We, we may have had the same kind of, uh, uh, we may have been from the woods together. And what really strikes me is from a personal level is just, you know, like how the paths diverged, how I can be in a situation where I go in front of a judge and they'll take me seriously, they'll take my objection seriously. But for my client, um, they won't. And those type of inequities, I think, are really challenging for me on a personal level. People are listening now. People care. Um, before, like even eight months ago, when I used to talk about police accountability, policing reform, racial inequities, no one would care. Now, people are listening. And people in power are listening. Uh, people who are you know, not in power, but are informed and engaged are listening. And I'm really just optimistic that change can happen because we've been pushing this for years and uh, nothing seems to be happening. But now I think, you know, things, things are possible. So how much of an impact do you think that the Black Lives Matter movement in the States has had on, you know, I'm old, so I will say raise, raising consciousness, you know, how, because I, it, it was interesting because, you know, the way that whole sort of narrative unfurled there were all of these cases in the United States. They were very upsetting. They were very public. A lot of Canadians were speaking out about what they saw in the United States. And it took a while before we came around to recognizing that we had situations that were not wildly dissimilar happening here. So would we have had that conversation in Edmonton if it weren't for the conversations that were happening in, in Donald Trump's America? Maybe not in Edmonton. You know, I think there was greater awareness happening um, there's been a number of high-profile incidents um, in Alberta, like prior to that, particularly with Indigenous peoples. I think in Ontario and BC, they're a bit um, farther along in this discussion. But what what uh, the, the American context, unfortunately, what the George Floyd example did was just uh, allowed it to hit critical mass. Um, where, where you know the mainstream people who don't even talk about politics were just talking about police accountability, police reform, transforming policing uh, structures. And it just gave fuel to all those activists, all those advocates, people who've been advocating for this for years to kind of finally be heard and to push the narrative. 
And so when you look back on, I mean, this has been a very extraordinary year with everything that's happening in the United States, with COVID-19, with, um, with Wexit, with the Buffalo Declaration, which is where we started this podcast in the spring when we seem to have, you know, gone almost full circle from there. What is the kind of Alberta that you want to see as we, you know, as, as we go through this COVID crisis and, and with luck out the other side? What kind of Alberta do we want to build on the strength of this? You know, I, I want there to be an Alberta where, um, like, regardless of where you come from, what you believe in, what you look like, what you aspire for, um, this can be your home. You can identify it with it. You can, um, you know, claim it as to be your home and not face those kind of structural individual barriers from like flourishing and however you want to flourish. And that, that, that's my goal. And I, um, and honestly, I, I will say this, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, um, there's people like myself who really benefited from this province, right? Like great public education system, great public libraries, um, great public services that absent that I wouldn't, my family wouldn't have been able to afford it. And like for me, um, I want to ensure that that's still accessible to folks because the folks who tend to need it tend to be racialized, tend to be on the margins. And if you can give them an opportunity to kind of stabilize their families and their futures going forward, I'd be very happy because, you know, I just look at where we're headed and, um, you know, the, the Alberta that we, I grew up in, um, an Alberta, I think that gave better opportunity to folks is kind of slipping away. Um, and it has real impacts on um, racialized communities and other people from other backgrounds. It's all interrelated. So that's what I'm hopeful for. And what kind of role would you like to see your Alberta taking in Canada? What do you want other Canadians to know about this place? And, and what do we have to do to prove it to them? <laughs> well, I, I wanted Alberta in Canada. Like I, I'm proud to be Canadian, proud to be in this country. I want them to know that the character, caricatures they have of us is not, are not true. But at the other, on, on the flip side of it, I, I really want folks to know that there is like these pockets like Mill Woods, these individuals like you and myself who, you know, we buck the trend, but we're still kind of like proud to be from here, right? Like, you know, we may like, you know, Todd Babiak, who I, I'm sure we both know, um, likes and, to- And we it. should say Todd Babiak is a, a, a an Edmonton novelist who's run away to Tasmania for reasons that are very perplexing, although his pictures make it look very nice, but- uh, yeah. <laughs> Long time Edmonton journalist and novelist. Yeah. And, and he's like uh, uh, talking about, we're talking about Edmonton together. And it's like, you know, you love Edmonton, but you love Edmonton like you love like your parents, you know, or like your family growing up. And it's just like this, oh, like why does it have to be like this? But there's this deep, deep seated like love and affection where you can criticize your own mother, but like sure as hell don't let anybody else criticize it. Right, and that's kind of the way we love this province and we love this um, city. There's a lot of issues, but they're my issues to deal with and you're not getting it right because you don't know what it's like. Thanks so much to Avnish Nanda and as always, thanks to you for being a part of Alberta Unbound. Alberta Unbound is edited and produced by Ame Charnelia and written and presented by me, Senator Paula Simons. Like us, share us, review us, 
not just because we value your support and feedback, although we do, but because we want to draw others across Alberta and across Canada into this important discussion. Be well, be wise, and in January, be warm. <laughs>